Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. All right, all right. Good evening. It's so awkward. Every time, every week I say good evening and it's quiet. Good evening. We've got to work on just social interaction in this place. How are we feeling? We, it's kind of a bummer time of the year, yeah? Who's excited for Thanksgiving next week? Yes. How many of you are traveling this next week? Let me get a set of hands. All right. Awkward. We don't, uh, you know, be quarantining, all that wonderful jazz. All right. If you got your Bibles, Romans chapter 12. We're going to finish up our series in the book of Romans tonight. Um, can I go ahead and ask, can we turn down the lights just a little bit? That would be awesome. As you are turning to Romans 12, a couple things that I do want to say. Um, Miss Lauren went ahead and referenced it. I'm going to go ahead and reference it again if you have not already heard. This is going to be our last student ministry service of 2020. Everyone go, oh. I know, it's a huge, huge bummer. Um, the senior team here at New Life Church... Um, since March. We've been constantly kind of evaluating, watching how things are going. And as many of you probably know, um, cases are on a sharp rise here in El Paso County in Colorado. Now, whether you agree with this virus being real or not, doesn't matter. Fact of the matter is we're making a decision to try to keep um, everything as safe as we possibly can. So we're going to trust our leadership's decision on this, and we're going to reevaluate again in January 2021. Now, that being said, just because we do not have Wednesday night service does not mean we aren't doing anything, okay? If you're in junior high in here, I want you to raise your hand. Sixth or eighth grade, let me hear you shout. Come on. I love it. There's not one deep voice. Everybody's gone through puberty. It's awesome, okay? All right, if you're in junior high, say Sunday morning, 11 a.m., in the Hershey Kiss. Yeah, you're with me, okay? Sunday morning, 11 a.m., in the Hershey Kiss, we will have junior high small groups continuing to meet, okay, for right now. So if you have not plugged in or you did not know about that, Sunday morning, 11 a.m., in that giant building that looks like a Hershey Kiss over there, we will have small groups. Now, if you are in high school, okay, upperclassmen, lowerclassmen, whatever, we're going to have small groups continuing to meet throughout the weeks, throughout the rest of the year, okay? So if you're already plugged into a small group, you know where you're meeting, when you're meeting. If you're an upperclassman, lowerclassman, guy, girl, doesn't matter, you see the booth in the back. It's got the New Life Student Ministries. It's really pretty. All that wonderful jazz. At the end of service, yeah, Pastor Chase is giving you glow sticks towards it, okay? At the end of service, I want to invite you Come give us your name, give us your number, give us your grade. We'll get you plugged in so that you're not kind of drifting in the wind over the next six weeks. Sound good? Sound good? Yeah. We're going to have to wake up tonight. All right. Romans chapter 12, are you there? All right. For the three of you that are there, the rest of you can look at the screen. The Apostle Paul, we're going to finish up this letter here this evening. This is what he says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he or she ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. Everyone say one body. And individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, let love be genuine. Everyone say genuine. If you're following me in your Bible, I want you to underline that, that sentence. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to which all God's people said. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we welcome your presence here. We welcome it. Father, I pray that you would speak to us tonight, that you would have your way in us the rest of this year. Lord, I pray that you would come and give us hope this evening. I pray that you would be that hope in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Let me ask you a question, kind of hypothetical, kind of not. Have you ever taken a look at your life and not really liked what you see? <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, you have no idea, Pastor, right? You ever take, now let me be clear here. I'm not talking about like you looked in the mirror and you really hated your hair, okay? I'm not talking about really like the outward pieces of your life. I know that if you could have nicer clothes, you'd want nicer clothes. I know that if you could have like six-pack abs, you'd have six-pack abs. Probably not. You like pizza too much, right? Like, here's what I'm asking. Have you ever looked at your life spiritually, spiritually, and not like what you saw? Let me give you an example. It's like you, you can look at your life and realize that for whatever way, shape, or form, you're very easily angered, and you don't like that about yourself. Or for whatever, for whatever reason, you look at your life, and you're not a very patient person, and you hate that about yourself. And this is when it gets really discouraging. You identified that in yourself some time ago, and if I were to ask you to look at your life right now, do you feel it has gotten any better? Most of the time, we get pretty discouraged when we talk about this. There are moments in my marriage, five and a half years in now, where my wife and I will have an argument, and I'll walk away, and I'll look in the mirror, and I go, you got to be kidding me. You are the same immature 20-year-old that's arguing with your wife five and a half years ago as you are right now over whoever got the last sip of milk, 
<laughs> like simple things like that. And I'll be irritated, and this is, this is what'll happen. When I identify that it doesn't feel like I haven't grown, or maybe more importantly, I haven't changed, I get discouraged. Have you ever felt discouraged in here before? If there's ever a year to feel discouraged, 2020 might be that year, right? And here's what I love about the gospel, is that the very essence of Christianity means that change is possible. That in fact, you do not have to look at your life 10 years ago, five years ago, 20 years from now, and say that you look the exact same as you do right now. The very essence of the gospel gives an invitation for you to grow, for you to change, for the things that you can't stand about yourself for you to actually work on, if you wanna work on it. And I think that sometimes we kind of get discouraged in this because we say, we know where we want to be, we know where we are, but we got no desire to get there. It's kind of like the gym, right? I wish I had six-pack abs. I wish that I weighed like 30 pounds more of healthy weight. <laughs> but I know what it takes to get there. And the problem is, is I love pizza way too much. Yeah, amen. I love like... I love Chick-fil-A way too much. I, yeah, even more. Now here's the thing, I enjoy going to the gym. Like you feel really good when you go to the gym, but like you, you, you always love the feeling when you're done. You never love the feeling on your way there. You never love the feeling on the way there. Unless you're like a, a workout junkie, which a couple of you are. But here's the thing, we get discouraged. We don't think change can really happen because we know in and of ourselves we don't have what it takes to change us. And this is what I love what Paul's doing at this moment in the book of Romans. For the first 11 chapters, for the first 11 chapters, he spent talking all theology. And then from chapter, chapters 12 to 15, he gets real practical with us. He says, look, okay, now, you know who Christ is in you? who you are in Christ, what it means to be justified, what it means to know your sin, what it means to know what Christ has done for you, let me tell you what that's supposed to look like in your life. And I think Paul gives us three ways in the first 13 verses here, practical ways on what it means to follow Jesus and what God, Paul is calling us to when we're following Jesus. Three ways, really simple yet really practical the first way that Paul calls, it, calls us to follow Jesus is a costly way. Everyone say costly. This is the not fun one, so let's get it over with. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Everyone say living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So the first thing we need to ask ourselves when we read this verse is what does Paul mean by living sacrifice? Sacrifice. What he does not mean is you offering yourself physically on an altar to die. Now I know that can kind of be funny and it kind of, can kind of be obvious, but mind going to first century Rome, putting a human sacrifice on the altar to die for the sake of your belief was not that uncommon. So there's a reason here why Paul says living sacrifice. Everyone say living sacrifice. Living sacrifice, offer up your body as a living sacrifice. Now when we're talking about this, 
We have an idea already with what Paul's talking about. If you go back to Romans 6, he kind of gives this, this, this image of, look, your body, your hands, your feet, your arms, your legs, your eyes, your mouth, your nose, your ears, all that you have, let them be instruments of righteousness. So what he's saying is, look, the body that God has given you, if you follow Jesus, it no longer exists for your own glory, it exists for the glory of God. Are you with me? So the question that we have to ask ourselves then is how do we use our bodies as instruments of righteousness? In other words, how do we use our bodies to glorify the Lord and not ourselves? The key to that question is in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Two commands Paul gives here. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. Now what he's getting at here is he's going, look, before you clean the outside of the cup, clean the inside of the cup. It can't be the same day to day if you're going to follow Jesus. And this is what that means. If you're going to follow Jesus, you can't put your faith on cruise control. You can't coast. How sad it is as a 26-year-old, I've watched friend after friend after friend after friend walk away from their faith because they put their faith on cruise control. And here's how you know if your faith is on cruise control here tonight. You ready? If you don't wake up every day and say to yourself, I want to love Jesus just a little bit more, a little bit better, a little bit more beautifully than I did yesterday, you know your faith's on cruise control. There's no desire to see God more beautifully for who he is. And so what ends up happening here is we take this verse and we interpret it like this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to look at the world and I'm going to see what the world does and I'm going to see how the world thinks and I'm going to see how the world speaks. And what I'll do is I'll simply kind of try to do the opposite, right? So... My friends might have a filthy mouth. I'll work to have a little bit more of a clean mouth, right? My friends post some kind of scandalous photos on social media. I will post only appropriate filtered photos on social media, right? Like we can begin to watch the world and we can say, okay, wait, the world is freaking out and, and they're rioting right now. Well, I will just stay at home and I will watch Disney+. Plus. Nothing wrong with Disney Plus, okay? I'm not, I'm not bashing it, right? But this is what we do. We say, hey, you know what? Let's just do the opposite. Let's look at the world and see what's right. Let's see what's wrong. And I want to suggest to you that it's not simply, what Paul's getting after is not just right thinking, not right doing, but right valuing. And let me, let me, let me illustrate it to you like this. Let's say I like to, to pan for gold. Like, this is like 80 years ago, but whatever. Right? Let's say I like to pan for gold. And so I know everything there is to know about gold. I know how to tell the difference between real gold and fool's gold. I know how to tell you about all the different properties and minerals of gold and why it is actually gold. And then, even better, I can teach you actually how to find it. So I teach you the entire process of what it looks like to find gold. You know everything there is to know about gold. Okay? And then this is what I do. I bring you out 
and I say, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to love you real well. I'm going to pay you a dollar for every hour that you pan for gold for me. But I get to keep all the gold. And because you feel confident, you say, sure. Ten hours, you labor. You labor. And you know everything there is to know about gold. You give me 1,500 pounds of gold in the sake of ten hours. Fill up my pockets. And you made ten bucks. <laughs> Meanwhile, you dump thousands of dollars of gold into my bag. Now hear me. This is what Paul's saying here. You don't just simply look at the world and know what's right and know what's wrong and be able to identify it. What he's saying is here is you look at the world and everything that it has to offer, you see Jesus as a thousand times more precious and beautiful than any of it. Are you with me? He says every day you get up, every day, every day you wake up, would you renew your mind? In other words, would you take a step back and say, Lord, of everything that my body wants to do, of everything that I want to have, of everything that I want to accomplish today, help me see you as better, as better. And in doing this, you are offering up your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, said it like this. He said, where am I? Oh, the more burdens we put on Christ's shoulders, the more precious he will be to us. The more burdens we put on Christ's shoulders, the more precious he will be to us. Let's get real for a second. What this looks like practically is saying, Lord, I give you my relationships today. Help me see you as more beautiful than my relationships today. Lord, I give you my sexuality today. Help me see you as more beautiful than my sexuality today. Lord, I'm going to give you my secret sin. I'm going to entrust what you have to say about it. And though it's going to cost me, and though it's going to be a battle, though I'm going to have to give stuff up, would you help me trust you with it today? Lord, I'm going to give you my social media account today. All that I have, all that I follow, all that I'm going to spend time looking, would you help me treasure you more than that today? And this is what's going to happen. If it's not already happening right now, you're going to hear this little voice in your ear. It's going to say, that sounds like a lot of loss and not much gain. Or the way your generation might say it is, that sounds like a really boring and lame way to live. And then what's going to happen is you're going to actually start hearing it in actual voices. You're going to hear friends, maybe even family members say, why would you give that up? <laughs> why would you not just do what's best for you when it comes to fill in the blank? And you know what your answer is? As a follower of Jesus, you say, I know that it's worth a lot to you, but following Jesus is so much more precious to me. That to follow him I know is costly. I know that it's going to take me having self-control 
with my life. And it's going to take me waking up every day hoping, praying, yearning that I'll love Jesus even more today than I did yesterday. And I know that it might cost me relationships. I know that it might cost me stuff. I know that it might cost me popularity. But hear me, Jesus sounds a thousand times better than all of those things. A thousand times better. So let's get practical. What does that look like to renew your mind every day? I'm going to give you three of the most boring, cliche things that I do every day. You ready? I wake up and I pray. I sit in silence and I pray every day. Woke up this morning before the Lord and I said, Father, would you come, Holy Spirit? Would you have your way in my life today? I have so many things that I need to get done. I have so many things that I'm thinking about. I got so many people that are irritating me. I got decisions that are being made right now that make me angry. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you help me? Would you give me peace? Would you give me kindness? Then I do the best thing that anybody could ever do is I open the living word every morning. And instead of just glancing at it, I pray that God would make it come alive to me. Even though it can be boring as heck as I read it. Even though it can be mundane. Even though, hear me as your pastor, I might not understand it all the time. I pray that God's words would be made alive to me. And I start in the Psalms and I open up a Psalm every day and I'll begin to pray the Psalm that I read. And I'll pray that the Lord will stir up my affections for him as I read this Psalm. I'll begin to pray this Psalm over all the people in my life, over my wife, over my family, over my friends, over you. I'll pray that God would be clearly seen among my day. Then I'll flip over to the Gospels and I'll read about the life of Jesus, the way that he talked with people, the way that he walked with people, the way that he took care of people, the way that he talked to the Father, the way that he lived his life. And then I'll read, I'll, I'll go over to the New Testament and I'll be in the book of Corinthians hearing about how Paul is imploring the people in Corinth to treasure Jesus and to understand that everything that they are experiencing right now is <laughs> a light and momentary affliction, but God is working it for their good and for his glory. And I'll pray and pray and pray and pray and then I'll do something really weird I'll turn on worship music and I'll sit there and I will let songs stir my affections for the Lord I'll begin to cry out I'll begin to off key sing with those songs and look like an idiot in my home but I don't care you know why because I want my mind to be renewed today and I want to love Jesus so much better even if it's just a little bit better than I did yesterday. And you know what? I still have bad days. I still have days where I'm angry, where I'm sinful, where I fall short, where I'm not a good husband to my wife, where I'm not a good friend to my friends, where I'm not a good leader here at the church. And you know what? God's grace is sufficient for the day. It's sufficient for the day. But you know what the invitation from Paul is here? It's not for every day to be sunshine and rainbows, but for you to be faithful and offer up your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, following Jesus is costly. Are you with me? The second way that Paul calls us to follow Jesus is to follow Jesus in a communal way. Everyone say communal. Verse 3, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself or herself more highly than he or she ought to think, 
but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. This is the best way I can describe this to you. Do I have any athletes in the room? Okay, good amount. Do I have any soccer players in the room? Yes, okay. Now here's the thing. The very first sport that I learned how to play was soccer, okay? I played it for like the first six, seven years of my life. Made sense to my parents. I was short. I was fast. I could kick a ball, coordinated enough. So now here's the thing. My parents were not very wealthy. I never played club soccer. I played this thing that society used to call Parks and Rec, okay? It was not called Pride or Prejudice or Predators or Rush or whatever you call it today. We were the orange team, the blue team, the red team, the gold team, the green team. Get off it, okay? Now, I love soccer. And there's a lot of, in fact, I have a picture of my first soccer team right here. Bottom left. Bottom left, yeah. Guys, I'm not gonna lie, I was a cute baby. Yep, my wife is ready to have like a million of those right there, okay? Now here's the thing. This team, we were the Sharks, okay? Blue, the Sharks, okay? Now here's the thing. I don't know whatever reason this worked out. My dad made it to, I was three years old in this photo, but I was playing on a fours and fives team, okay? So many me running around the field. Now here's the thing. My dad loved to motivate me. Love to motivate me. So most of the time, if not all the time, my father was my coach. And early on in my soccer career, my dad said, all right, boo-boo. He calls me boo-boo, okay? He said, boo-boo, I'll make you a deal. For every goal that you make, I give you a dollar. I give you a dollar. Now, I know you're like laughing. It's like that's not very much money. But 23 years ago, that was Massive change, okay? You get 18 bags of Skittles and some at the store for a dollar. And so, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, I played Parks and Rec soccer, and every league I did, every goal I made, I got a dollar. I worked my rear off to make as many goals as I possibly could. As a 10-year-old, I bought my first airsoft gun solely with money that I made from goals in a soccer game. It was awesome, okay? Now here's the thing. This incentive did two things. One bad, one good. The positive, I made money. <laughs> and I got really, really good at making goals. I mean, three, four, five, six, seven years, I'd walk away like six goals a game. I mean, it's parks and rec, y'all. It wasn't like competitive, right? So I, I, I'd make like five, six, seven dollars. Absolutely awesome. The negative, I only saw one thing when I walked out on that field, and I only cared for one thing walking out on that field. I go out, I see the ball, I see my opponents, I see the goal. If you were on my team, you were non-existent. No, I didn't care who you were. I didn't care how awesome you were. If you got a goal, you were stealing a dollar out of my bank account. So my dad, though teaching me to be a stud at scoring goals, taught me to be like, this incentive made me the worst team player of all time. Of all time. I mean, like, it's like one of those things where it's like, I'd have like three wide open teammates in front of the goal, four opponents, and I was like, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to do my thing. 
And here's the thing. I have a, I have a hypothesis, if you will. I think that more often than not, we function like I did as a elementary school soccer kid in the body of Christ. I think more often than seeing ourselves as those created to serve one another, we more often function as those who compete with one another. Here's what I mean by that. When you look at an actual good soccer team, you usually got about three or four assignments on the team. You got a goalie, you got a defenseman, you got a midfielder, and you got a striker or a forward, right? Now, if everybody on the team functioned like I did, this team would be the worst team ever in America, right? You'd have a goalie who could care less about protecting the goal. He wants to get goals. You'd have defensemen who could care less about defense. They want to make goals. This is why, like, you... Oh, no, I'm not going to say what I was about to say. I was about to just throw shade on forwards, but I love you guys. You've got to make goals. It's good to do. Okay? But here's the thing. If you function that way, you're not seeing your opponent as your primary opponent. You're seeing your team as the primary opponent. If our bodies function this way, we would be in big trouble. If our hands said to our mouths, I will not feed you, that would be a bummer. <laughs> right? Like, I had a moment ninth grade year. I was snowboarding, fell, destroyed both of my wrists. I sprained my right. I broke my left. I walked around with casts on them for eight weeks. The worst eight weeks of my life. Freshman year, I'm sitting there and I'm having to take a math test. And because I can't write, they bring me to the office. They bring a girl in who's this TA who's a senior. And she's got to write for my test for me. So I'm just having to speak my illogical answers. <laughs> As my wrists are sitting here like this, it's a bummer when the pieces of our body stop functioning. Hear me. Jesus has called us to follow him in a communal way, meaning this. If you follow Jesus, you got to walk with people. you got to do life with people. If I could define your faith as somebody who speaks to God personally themselves, who says nothing to anybody else, who doesn't share about what's going on in your life with anybody else, and nobody else shares about what's going on in their life with you, and I could define your faith as a closet faith, hear me, you don't follow Jesus. You follow your idea of Jesus. That's dangerous. It's dangerous. He's called us to follow him with community, with brothers, with sisters, and yes, this is hard, why? Because we have a competitive culture. As you grow up, you're gonna see right now, you look at school and it's like, who's, who's top of the class as far as brains go, right? As you go to college and you're gonna graduate from college and you're looking for a job, you got a competitive market of how you are going to make yourself a clear candidate for a job. And everything in this world is going to tell you, you need to do everything you can to get ahead of the person to your left and to your right. And yet, the body of Christ is an institution, is a place where the very heart of the people who are in it are saying, how can I serve you? How can I take care of you? How can I put you before myself? If you don't learn this now, you're going to learn it the hard way in marriage. How do you put the other before yourself? Everything that you want, your desires, the way that you want to have things, it doesn't work that way in the body of Christ. 
we look at each other for the purpose of serving one another. And when we do, when the hands, the feet, the legs, the brain, the heart, the mouth, when, they, when we function as a body, what happens? Everyone grows. Everybody moves forward. Hear me. Change is possible. It's possible. But to do your faith isolated and alone is not to do faith at all. To follow Jesus is costly. To follow Jesus is you got to do it in community. And number three, Paul calls us to follow Jesus in an authentic way. Everyone say authentic. I had you underline this verse, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. The literal translation for let love be genuine can be translated like this. Love should be without hypocrisy. Love should be without hypocrisy. Now, hypocrisy has a driving question and a, a consuming desire. The question is, how will I appear to those around me? And the desire is, how can I create a good impression to those around me? Now, hypocrisy manifests itself primarily in two ways. The first one, we all know really well because we've seen it or we've done it. We hide our flaws by drawing attention to other people's flaws so that our brokenness is not revealed. Have you ever seen this happen before? Where somebody is very quick to judge someone else but not address their own sin. You seen that happen before? You do it as siblings all the time. Yeah, you do it as siblings all the time, right? Like you, you, would, you would be quick to expose your siblings' brokenness to mom and dad far before you're about to say what you did. So the way it works, yeah, she broke it. He did it. They ate it. She drove it. She stole it. Not to use immediate examples, right? Like you'll, you'll expose your siblings Far before you'll expose your own brokenness. Now, here's the thing. We all know hypocrisy that way. In Luke chapter 13, we see this happen with the Pharisees. Jesus heals this woman who's had an ailment for over 18 years. And you have all the Pharisees sitting there judging him and getting mad that he would dare do any form of work on the Sabbath. And Jesus looks at him and goes, you hypocrites. Do you not also take your donkey or your oxen to the well to get water on the Sabbath? Don't sit here and try to judge me or judge this woman. We all know this kind of hypocrisy. And when we see it, there's like a sense of justice when it's not us. We want to see it rectified. But there's another form of hypocrisy that I'm going to go so far as to say that I think is a little bit more common in this room. Hear me. Second form of hypocrisy is one that tries to make the outside of our lives look better than in the inside in order to hide the eternal sin by putting on a moral front. Make it more simple. We like to wear a mask and hide what's really going on in our own lives for the sake of everybody else thinking we are okay. I want you to look at me. When Paul says, let your love be genuine, to follow Jesus is to, 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 to live a life in a way that fights you being dishonest with yourself, with God, and others. I want you to hear me. 
we have a suicide rate in our city so high among your age group right now because we are not willing to let our love be genuine. In other words, we are not willing to walk through these doors and be the broken, sinful, hurting humans that we are. Every person, including myself in this room, has become really, really good at putting a mask on and hiding what's going on underneath. Hiding your brokenness, hiding your sin. And so what ends up happening is this, you learn to live life this way, but it can only last so long. This form of life is the most isolated way of life. Nobody knows who you really are, and you even get to the place where you don't know who you really are. And you begin to implode on yourself. Everything begins to get really, really drastic. You begin to cease to believe that change is possible, and so you hide it. You hide it. And I need you to hear me today. Love does not dwell on the flaws of others. Love does not crave the praise of men. And love does not act religious to hide sin. Listen to me. If you're going to truly follow Jesus, if you're going to truly follow Jesus in your life, you're going to have to learn to be honest and real with God, with yourself, and with others. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to learn to be honest with God, yourself, and with others. You know what this is giving you permission to be? It's human. A week and a half ago, I had the privilege of going to CSES and sitting down with a couple seniors. If you don't know, CSES lost a senior to a death by suicide about six to eight weeks ago. And I sat down with this group of seniors, and the first question I asked was, what do you guys think about mental health? What comes to mind? And all of the normal things that usually come out when you talk about mental health come forward. They say, we think of an insane asylum. We think of a padded room. We think of somebody who's extremely depressed, somebody who's thinking about taking their life. And I said, okay, well, as you guys are looking at the landscape of your generation, how do you see this changing? And all of them were very quick to answer. They said, we got to do better. We got to do better at being honest with each other. We got to do better about talking about things. We got to do better about making it a safe environment to share what's really going on inside ourselves. And I said, that is a fantastic point. Let's practice it right now. I said, I want you to share with the group how you're really doing. And you, I mean, you could, you could hear a pin drop. We hate doing this. We hate doing this. We do not like to appear weak. We do not like to appear vulnerable. It's one of like the Achilles heels of the sin nature. We don't like it. We don't like it. But you know what's going to happen when you do it? Five and a half years in pastoral ministry, you know what I've learned? Is that somebody who's willing to be vulnerable and transparent always encourages and fosters more vulnerability and more transparency with other people. Every time. Every time. And I want you to hear me. I'm going to speak to you as your pastor and as an older brother. 
You only opening up your brokenness and what's going on in your life to your friends is very, very dangerous. I want you to hear me. You only sharing what's going on in your soul with your peers is very, very dangerous. You want to know why? Because they weren't meant to carry all of that weight exclusively with you. And so here's what we have happening. Nobody wants to tell their parents. You don't want to tell a mental health professional. You don't want to tell somebody who can actually help you. So what you do is you put the weight on your friend, and now your friend's carrying it for you as they're carrying their own burdens. And they don't know how to help you. And because they don't want to lose friendship with you, they're refusing to tell somebody for you. I want you to realize how much that will hurt your relationships for the rest of your life. I need you to look at me. I want to invite the band to go ahead and come up. I don't care, and hear me say this sensitively. I know that your parents aren't perfect. They're not perfect. They're broken. They're hurting. They're sinful, just like you. And though you might not believe it and though you might not see it, they're God's gift to you. They're God's gift to you. And almost always, almost always, the step towards healing, the step towards letting your love be genuine is going to start with you opening up what's going on inside your soul, your sin, your brokenness to your mother and father or to whoever your guardian is. Opening up to them and letting them and you know what my prayer is for this youth group over the next six weeks? That confession would just begin to erupt across our church. That for whatever reason, instead of parents and families hearing about another suicide taking place in our city, what we see and what we get to observe is young men, young women. Trusting and cherishing and loving Jesus enough to take off their masks and be real with those who God has placed in their lives. If you want to follow Jesus 30 years from now and want to say 30 years from now that you followed Jesus for the long haul, hear me. You're going to have to learn to do this. You're going to have to learn to be honest with yourself. You're going to have to learn to be vulnerable in front of your friends, in front of your parents, in front of a mental health professional, in front of a pastor, in front of a mentor, in front of a coach. You're going to have to learn. You're going to have to learn to be okay with receiving grace. It's not normal. It's not easy. It takes courage. It takes intentionality. It takes discipline. But to follow Jesus in a real way, it's going to cost you. To follow Jesus in a real way means that you can't do it by yourself. And to follow Jesus in a real way means you're going to have to be okay with all of your brokenness under whatever facade you're normal at putting on. Can you stand with me?
I know this feels kind of heavy. It's like, man, what a downer. Last message of 2020, what's gonna, what's gonna happen, what's going on? But as I woke up and I asked the Lord to renew my mind today, as I offered my body as a living sacrifice to the Lord, my hope and prayer for you over the next six weeks is that you realize your spiritual life, your faith, it does not have to be contingent on coming here on Wednesday nights. It doesn't. You know, the true test of a youth ministry and to see if it had gone well used to be that when you were 18 and you were graduated, six months after you're graduated, are you still following Jesus? When you go off to college, our seniors in here, Next year, 2021, you're gonna leave Colorado Springs. You're gonna find yourself away from your church, away from your community, away from your family. And the question is going to be before you, are you gonna follow Jesus? Are you gonna love him? Are you gonna cherish him? Or are you gonna put your faith on coast, on cruise control? And you know what COVID's allowed, allowed us to do? It's to take a step back right now and say next week, we can't gather. We don't have a service. Do you want to follow Jesus? And if the answer is yes, I got good news for you. You do not need to have a Wednesday night massive rally to make that happen. You know what you have is one another. One another. It's not the church's job to get a service going on Wednesday night at 6.30 for you to feel connected. It's your job to reach out to your brothers and sisters and ask them next week, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? What do you need? How can I serve you? How can I serve your family? Hey, I need you to pray over this. I'm feeling isolated and alone. And if you're a good friend who has a friend telling you they feel isolated and alone, tell them, hey, it's time to get help. It's time to reach out. Do you want me to come with you? I'll come with you to talk to your mother and father. I'll come with you to talk to whoever needs it. But don't do this alone. And I'm not going to do it by myself with you. I love you enough to not let you struggle alone. Let's love without hypocrisy. Let's embrace Jesus. And let's just see if after six weeks, seven weeks, when we rally again in January, we can just say maybe that we love Jesus a little bit more than we do tonight. Why? Because every day, whether we're gathering or not, we have the opportunity to offer up our body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. To not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be renewed and transformed by the renewing of our mind. To function as the body of Christ. And hear me, to let our love be genuine. So we're gonna go just a little bit later here this evening as the, as the team plays this song. And what I want to invite you into this evening is following Jesus. And whether that's for the first time tonight, you don't know him, I want you to come talk to me, come talk to a leader, I'll talk to you about what it means to follow. But if it's more commonly the case that you follow Jesus but your faith has been on cruise control, hear me, it's time to trust him tonight. Let us take this moment right now to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So if you could bow your heads with me before we enter into worship here. And we could just start by saying, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit.
Holy Spirit, would you come and have your way in us? Would you speak to us? Oh, would you show us what it means to have a relationship with Jesus? Yes. Not some weak, fabricated, inauthentic, day-by-day, face-mask-filled Christianity, but a real, genuine, intimate relationship with Jesus that costs us our lives that allows us and invites us to see Jesus as a thousand times more precious than anything else in life, that gives us the courage and the boldness not to walk alone, but to lean into the body of Christ and to walk with the people of God, Lord, and to let our love be genuine without hypocrisy. Would you do it? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Oh, would you have your way in us here this evening? Brothers and sisters, you were made to know Jesus Christ. You're made to know him. You're made to know him. So I invite you, engage with him right now for the next five minutes. Engage with him and let him have his way. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.